Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Welcome to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and also on a Tuesday night online at www.triplehfm.com.au and afterwards at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes and all the bad places as well. And we do it all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore, ready to serve the Hornsby and Kiringai communities when the coronavirus curtain is lifted. Speaking of which, it's time to continue on our special series of episodes looking at how the coronavirus emergency has affected sport locally and outside the main spectrum over these last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Later in this episode, we'll be speaking with Ben Davis, the captain of the Northern District Rangers, to see how, at a local level, cricket handled the coronavirus emergency. But right now, to start with, it's time to look at how a sport from outside the main spectrum has handled things. It's a sport that gets a lot of publicity at Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, even World Championship times, but not a lot outside that period. But it's a sport that has been badly affected, perhaps even more so than some of the mainstream sports. Gymnastics is one of the most spectacular sports on the Olympic Games program. Always has a niche following and always gets a lot of eyeballs to watch at Olympic Games time, but it's a sport that's been badly affected by coronavirus. And we didn't have to look too far. We only had to look at one of our own to give us an update and a report on how gymnastics has been affected by the coronavirus emergency. You hear about the mainstream sports, you hear about league, union, soccer slash football, Australian rules, cricket, netball, tennis, a couple of others, but... It's not just those sports that has been affected. Other sports that you don't hear about, that you don't read about, that you don't see about, uh, unless they fall in the Olympic cycle every four years, have also been just as affected. And they don't necessarily have hundreds of millions or thousands of millions of dollars of government money to bail them out during this time. One of those sports is gymnastics. Worldwide, one of the more spectacular sports always at Olympic Games level, but a very high participant sport, particularly amongst our children. To talk about how gymnastics at a local level, at a state level, has been affected, and it's been affected badly, uh, we didn't even realise we only had to turn to one of our own. Uh, one of our own team members, she's been very much spending her time in isolation along with all of us, except for those that have to come in and front up on a Friday night and wear our face masks as we're doing here this evening. Uh, Young Alex Bellamy, the uh, queen of Mark Taylor over when there's rugby being played there during the winter, the vice president of the Hornsby Lions Rugby Club, but also very heavily involved with Gymnastics New South Wales. She's online to join us for the first time since 
really, the COVID-19 emergency broke out uh, to tell us about what's happened with gymnastics and how it's affected her work there and what the future may look like, good, bad or indifferent. She's online now on this special Good Friday edition of The Bench. Alex, good evening to you. It has been far too long since we've spoken. Good evening. Yeah, it is one of those things that it kind of, I guess, everything's happened so fast that one week we were all expecting to, to come into the, the studio, have a chat face-to-face, and then next thing everyone's in lockdown. So it's been such a rapid change that, yeah, it, it's been a couple of weeks, but it feels like so much longer because so much has happened in that space of time. Well, take us through the timeline, how it affected Gymnastics New South Wales, clearly closing of clubs, shutting down of gyms, uh, shutting down of competitions. Um, And this is an Olympic year where gymnastics does come out of the woodwork and Mm. get its turn in the spotlight again. The Australian team in both men's and women's were looking to possibly push for the last place in team finals in the all-round in both men's and women's gymnastics this year. All of that now gone. Yes, the Olympics hopefully will be back in 12 months' time, but Mm. you need the grass... You need the Olympics to get the grassroots going and engaged, and that's been shot to bits right now. Take us through Mm. the timeline of how it all came about that we went from a vibrant championship season to nothing. Yeah, no, I, I think you've you've definitely nailed it with the the Olympic year. That's that's a huge factor for us. Um, it's something that once every four years, um, a little bit more with the, the two year cycle with the Commonwealth Games, but in particular Olympics, that's when all eyes are on a sport such as gymnastics that doesn't get that kind of airtime at all any other time of of the the cycle. Um, so that's something we were banking on at the start of this year huge participation numbers, new people coming into the sport, all that kind of thing, um, totally on hold currently. But I guess for us, the timeline, we, like some of the other sports, we, I guess, identified as a state association a little bit earlier than, I guess, the government-mandated shutdowns that we would be stopping our education courses, um, so our accreditation courses for coaches and things like that, as well as our our state-run competitions, um, we were going to postpone those till end of June. Um, and that was a little bit longer than some of the other sports had originally said. I know rugby had that May timeline, as did soccer. Um, that's since pushed out. So we had that around mid-February that we'd said, OK, from a state side of things, no state competitions, which is a huge thing for, for our, our athletes. Um, mentally, they work so hard to get to to the level they're at for, for state championships and things like that. So that was all kind of up in the air. Um, and then, like you said, with the the rapid change in government announcements, um, gym closures, it was pretty much Sunday night. The PM made that announcement. Indoor sports centres, gyms have to shut. So Monday morning, the, the clubs across New South Wales were just, yeah, shut up shop out in the cold. Um, so a really really, really rapid change um, and it's something that all our club owners are just, I guess, starting to get on top of now. So that was probably two weeks ago and it's just taken that... That first week was just a bit of shock um, and now I think a lot of them are now starting to, to move into those next steps of, okay, what do we do now? What can we do to, to keep the sport going while everyone's kind of shut up 
indoors for, for the foreseeable future. Well, uh, a lot of people don't realise that a lot of these clubs, they're, they're private businesses. Some, yeah. are, some are linked to PCYCs. Yeah. But they're all at various stages of government assistance from some or very little to virtually yeah. none at all, and they're the ones that are doing it tough. Yeah, 100%. So I guess gymnastics as a sport is, is different to, to the main ones like your, your soccer, your football clubs, all that kind of thing where our, our clubs operate themselves as, as small businesses pretty much. So the fact that they've had to, to close their doors indefinitely, um, our coaching staff across New South Wales, we've got about 2,000 coaches, they're paid, so they're all out of work. Um, our clubs are in on industrial facilities because that's what houses, I guess, the equipment they need. So they're paying industrial rent for something that's not happening at the moment and things like that. So it's a lot of, a, I guess, a different situation for, for gymnastics clubs compared to, I look at my, my Hornsby Rugby Club, um, we don't, have, we don't train two nights a week um, for a couple of hours. We're not at the Oval and we're not playing on Saturday. Like the, I guess the difference in terms of impact, um, I don't want to, I guess, compare the two or less than one compared to the other, but I, get, I just know from that, that business side of things, it's a real struggle for those gymnastics clubs across the state. Um, and it's, yeah, it's one of those things, the announcements that are coming out from the government are fantastic. So we're just trying to keep on top of what support's being offered to them um, and then get that information out to them as quick as possible so they can keep afloat, pretty much. So that JobKeeper subsidy, mm. uh, which was announced and finally passed through Federal Parliament this week, yeah. um, is clearly going to be something that a lot of these clubs are going to need. Um, it, you, I know you don't have the statistics and all the information in front mm. of you, but you've got the anecdotal evidence as to how many of these clubs have already or are planning to stick their uh, hand out for uh, the JobKeeper package to stay alive, it would be almost 100% of gymnastics clubs, wouldn't it? Yeah, correct. It, it, we're pushing for, for everyone to, to register for it um, and encourage their, their staff to, to get onto JobSeeker at the moment. And then once they're, I guess, up and running with the JobKeeper, if they're eligible, then they'll be able to just move straight onto that. Um, it's one of those things. It's when that was announced, uh, I just know the relief that coaches and, and gymnastics club owners felt was just it's so huge. Um, it's, it's one of those things like I don't, I don't think people can kind of realise until they're in that situation that that's someone's livelihood, that they, they know they'll be able to keep going, they'll be able to get back into the sport as well. When this is over, we'll have workforce up and running, ready to go, rather than, I guess, having to re-recruit because people have gone elsewhere and things like that. So, yeah, we, we're pushing for 100%. Um, I guess the workforce drops with the, the clubs closing. We've seen it's 75% at least of, of coaches and, and workforce um, out of work. So this will be huge to keep keep people involved in the sport. 75%, that's a, that's a, a frightening and staggering it's, figure. It's scary, yeah. Of how, many, of, how many, of how many coaches in New South Wales were there pre-COVID, roughly? So we, we have 220 clubs across New South Wales, and of that workforce, we've got about 2,500 coaches. Um, and so, that's 15, so that's, let's say, 1,500 roughly coaches, bang, gone, yeah, out of work. Totally out of work, yeah. So Onto the scrap heap in, in, in an instant. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, because it was just 
it was literally instantaneous. It was, okay, one day you were working, the next you're not. And that's just, that's a big mental thing. Um, obviously, the athletes are processing that they're not, either they're the ones who are up for Olympic qualification, they've got to refocus those goals and things like that. But it filters all the way through to our state champs, national championships, all that kind of thing, as well as just the grassroots kids who are turning up each each week to do their, their activities, they're suddenly not able to do that. So the athlete side is massive, but I think, yeah, the, the well-being of the workforce as well is something that we're so conscious of, um, given that, yeah, it was just instantaneous. So it's, yeah, crazy times, but like we said, the, I guess the government support has been really, really well-received um, and, yeah, really thankful for a lot of those clubs that they've got something to, to hold on to for the time being. So the employees of the business owners, because you've got, you've got to break it down into mm-hmm. business owners and to the employees, of course, some are both. You've got some self-employed coaches out there. Yeah, um, yeah. But then you've got some employees of clubs owned by others. So the individuals that are not business owners have had to mm. apply for um, basically uh, Job Seeker, the old new start. Yeah. And then the business owners have had to apply for uh, for the job keeper yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to pay. And you're saying that at the moment you're trying to push for everyone that is eligible to apply. Um, what's the response been like when you've gone to them? Has it been pretty close to 100% or have some decided to sit and wait it out? Um, how many are going to walk away? You probably don't know that yet. Um, so I guess the ones who have evaluated what their, their financial situation is and whether they'll be able to reopen, we know there are clubs out there who, who won't be able to as a result of this, um, just given, the, like we said, the, the rents involved, um, the, the workforce, the, I guess not being able to bring in members, that's what they rely on as a revenue source. So we know there's, there's definitely a few of those smaller operators at the moment who we're trying as much as we can, but it doesn't look like they'll be able to reopen. But for those um, other clubs, it's definitely, yeah, that, that response rate when we put the information out is immediate. Uh, I'm on the phone quite quite regularly throughout the working week. Um, we've set up a Facebook group for our club owners just to keep that communication going. Um, everyone's sharing their ideas and things like that. It's really interesting when we'll say, like the I guess the JobKeeper one, we've noted it's the casuals, if they've been there for 12 months or more, um, and a lot of them have said, oh, some of our casuals only do like a couple of shifts a week, but we want to make sure they're accessing that as well if they're eligible. So they're kind of going above and beyond what we've said in terms of their workforce um, to just keep people involved. So I think there's really good community spirit. Um, and a lot of the clubs have said they're, they feel like they're in it together. And I think that's, that's what's come out of this is that it's impacted so many people from the grassroots through the state associations through to the national bodies, uh, everyone is dealing with this at the same time. So there's, a, I guess, a real camaraderie spirit around that, which I, I found really positive and, and really, I guess, a bit of a, a nice tonic to whatever's happening out there when you just kind of see the, the feel good around what people are doing. They're showing their online classes. They're keeping their kids involved, all that kind of stuff. So... There's, there's hope and I think there's a lot of that positivity going around in such a negative time. Now, take us through um, the actual, the participants, the, the kids, um, which you could put into two categories. Mm. Um, first category would be the elite or performance or competition 
uh, athletes all the way up to national Olympic standard. Um, there were going to be some trials, naturally enough. There was going to be an Olympic team selected for Tokyo. That's now been put off for another 12 months. All national championships and state titles have had to be postponed or, or cancelled. Um, how has it affected the elite athlete? And then we can go on uh, next to the, I wouldn't say casual, but certainly the younger mm. uh, participant level where they come in for fitness, for exercise, for the camaraderie of catching up with friends outside of the school cycle or maybe even inside the school cycle. Uh, how that, how those sectors of the participants have been affected? Yeah, so I guess the, the competition level, obviously massively. Um, it's not like some of the other sports where you can continue your training to an extent. Um, obviously, for me, my, my feet, I'm going three times a week doing cardio. I've got training sessions where it's skill-focused, passing, all that kind of thing. Can't really do that with the uh, Olympic-level routine for, for bars or beam or whatever it might be. You can't um, get a pommel horse and stick it in the backyard. It's not that really easy. can't do that, no. And now I don't think our insurance would allow it either. So what's been really good is Gymnastics Australia, the, the national body for, for the sport, has worked really hard to make sure that they've got clear, I guess, instructions of what insurance can cover athletes. So they know that they can then train to an extent um, that will make sure that, one, they're, they're not going to get hurt. And if they do, then they're covered for insurance, all that kind of thing. But for our competition um, athletes, I've been seeing videos of our, our trampolinists. Um, one of them who, yeah, he was gunning totally for an Olympic spot, um, Australian champion, all that kind of thing. He's doing these crazy tricks on his at-home trampoline just to keep that spatial awareness going, all those kind of things that you would lose quite easily if you're not doing it day in, day out. Um, a lot of the, I guess, the balance and the strength, the core stability, that stuff they can continue to do. It's just the, the other activities, the flips, the, all the aerial work, there's just not an option for them to do it safely. Um, so we've had to really, I guess, drill into people that, We've got our high-performance squads who, who are working with their coaches still in, I guess, quite a closed door. This is what we're doing. We don't want to showcase that to, to little kids so they can be like, oh, well, we might do that too. So there's a really, I guess, direct line between our elite athletes and, and the training they're doing um, and then our recreational ones who, yeah, like you said, they come in a couple of times a week just for, for the fitness, for the fun, for the, the skill development, all that kind of thing. That's where we've had all our clubs kind of jump on board doing online training, fitness drills, all that kind of stuff, um, as well as, I guess, the a few clubs have gone down the path of hiring out their equipment. So things like beams that can just go flat on the floor. So there's no risk of people falling off, I guess, a high, high height. Um, they're just kind of wandering along practicing their balance, all that kind of thing, which is really awesome to see. A lot of the, the online um, gymnastics providers, there's a few that will sell mini bars and things like that that kids are practicing on. I've seen a lot of dads getting down to Bunnings, doing some handyman work to put together, balancing things to, to practice handstands, all that kind of stuff. So, again, there's a really good, I guess, spirit around getting creative and, and trying out different things. And the kids are the ones that are pushing it. So I've seen 
a couple's kind of, they don't have a chin-up bar, so they've been hooking towels over their doors and they've been practising their chin-ups, keeping their strength up, that kind of thing. But that's totally from something they've just thought of and their clubs put it on put it on Facebook. Other clubs are seeing that and jumping on board. So there's a lot of sharing going around. Um, as, a, I guess, a state association, we're putting out some workout videos and things like that that our elite athletes are filming. So I guess it's kind of a nice connection between that elite and then that recreational. Um, they're kind of showing, this is what we do in our training for strength. You guys can do it too. Let's all do, join in together, do a live workout. So it's been a really interesting transition. Um, again, I, there's not that possibility to do these the, the full skills and the full routines and things like that. So it's, it's making do, as every other sport is, as best as we can to simulate whatever it might be. Obviously, the, the main focus is that, that strength, that stability, and I guess that spatial awareness for, for when they can get back to doing their routines. But at the moment, it's just uh, wait and see. So it's a really, really difficult time. And again, that filters into the, the mental side of things, keeping people motivated, keeping people positive. That's why that online community has been so fantastic. Speaking of keeping motivated and keeping focused and all of that, how hard has it been for yourself? You saw the tsunami come at you at Gymnastics New South Wales head office uh, where you work and you've seen it just wipe the entire sport out almost in the twinkling of an eye and Mm. you've had to take a lot of the the, the tough phone calls, you've had to make some tough phone calls as well as to what's going on out there uh, in the real world. Um, and you've somehow got to divorce yourself from that when you leave work uh, every day and concentrate on your own um, fitness for, for rugby. How hard has that been to, <laughs> how hard has that been to, to stay sane and mentally focused and, um, and above on, on top of things through this time yourself? Yeah, it's been a lot harder since daylight savings ended and the, the days are getting shorter. Um, it was great to kind of finish work 5, 5.30, go out for a run and it still be light. Now I've got to kind of time my, my days a little bit more. Um, but for me, it, it has been really difficult making those conversations with, with club owners, especially those ones who they've lost everything and, and we're trying to, I, I guess, help them as much as we can. But there's only so much we can do, I guess, and, and there's only so much I feel like I'm able to, to offer them in terms of advice and things like that, not being a, a financial advisor and things like that. So it's been being a sounding board. Um, it's something I really enjoy, and I, I love sitting down with our clubs and, and just chatting to see how they're going. Usually it's in, I guess, nicer circumstances, but again, it's it's going online after those conversations and looking at their Facebook page or their Instagram and just seeing that they're still keeping their community in in the front of their mind and they're still working with them. They're sharing their highlights and they're all just, again, in it together. Um, and that's something we've, we've been drilling into. The, the Jimmy Safael staff is everyone is in this together. Um, so let's make sure that we can prioritise the club owners first and foremost because they're the people who are hurting on the front line. I, I hear the conversations, I hear the, the stories they're sharing and there's, we've definitely had tears on the phone just listening to people. Um, it, it, it's heartbreaking and to come away from that and, and again just kind of reflect on, okay, well, I'm here, I'm doing my work, 
it's it's not impacting me, I guess, as much as some of those people who are. It, it's their livelihood. It's their everything. Um, that's something that I think is really important to take stock of. So you can have one of those days where you're like, oh, I've been cooped up all day, blah, blah, blah. But I'm really conscious that, yeah, there's people out there who are doing it a lot worse than I am. Um, We've been really busy, which I'm really thankful for. Again, I have a job. I'm thankful that my job is really busy at the moment. So touch wood, we can keep people going and keep people doing what they need to do to to get their clubs back up and running. Um, And then I guess, yeah, balancing that is, Knowing that I can go out and, and do my own training, it's such a good way to clear the head. Obviously, there's all those... Everyone's working from home at the moment. There's that, that push to really make sure you are taking stock of what you're doing, set your time, table around the day, all that kind of stuff. I've taken that on board. Um, yeah, just really making sure that I can still get in my, my training. And again, that's kind of wiped the slate clean. Uh, I shut my, my office door. And that's work done for the day. And then I go into, I guess, my, yeah, my rugby training. And then that's, that's where my focus is moving forward. Indeed. Now, take us through, just briefly, some of the more creative things that you've seen from clubs online. I'm sure that the online space is going to be something that clubs are going to be looking at long term when this is all said and done and we get mm. back out of the other side whenever that time may be. But I'm sure you're seeing some creativity out there from a number of clubs, great and small, right now. Yeah, definitely. I think the main one for, that really brought a smile to my face was a couple... It was pretty much the, the week that clubs were told to close. Was It was meant to be our senior state champs, which is our, our elite-level gymnast competing to, to be on the New South Wales team to go to nationals. So... Huge, huge event. Um, it goes over three days. Two steps, then, two steps from the Olympics. Exactly. So these, these are the people who have been yeah training all year, um, the senior seasons earlier in the year as well. So they've kind of I guess been working towards this from literally this time last year, and then it's kind of been shut up. So the one of the clubs uh, they got together on on Zoom. They got all the the athletes who would have been going to to state champs. They said, okay, guys. Wear your leotards, wear your state leotards that you were going to be wearing to, to compete in. Let's have a let's have a workout, let's have a catch up. Let's just talk out how we're all feeling and things like that. So not so much I guess that focus on the training and the skill development, but just that checking in on on athletes and that athlete well being side of things. So it was really awesome to see that they, they posted a photo just yeah, everyone kitted out in their, their colourful leotards, looking like they were about to go on the floor um, and just having those conversations with athletes to, to make sure they're doing okay. Um, that was something that really brought, brought a smile to my face. And then we've seen a lot of the, especially, I guess, the, the older coaches. Um, we've got such a long, I, I guess, diverse workforce from 14-year-olds through to like 70-year-olds. So the ones like who wouldn't usually be using, I guess, the, the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all that kind of Coming stuff. Coming to terms with it for the first time, gee. They're jumping on board and they're going all out and it's so good to see. They're doing the workouts with them. They're, they're doing the what the skills they're talking through. They're showing people how to do them, that kind of stuff. So it, that's been really cool as well. But the same people utilise what's in the home as well to, to practice. So people doing like their flexibility, they're utilising the chairs, they're doing all these crazy balances, using, like I said, going down to Bunnings and getting some PVC poles and putting together some contraptions to, to practice their, their handstands and their presses and all that kind of stuff. I've so, got visions of kids doing chin-ups on railings to doors and the railings, exactly, fall, and the exactly. railings falling off. 
that's, that's the concern. So, yeah, dad's doing their DIY work. We, we kind of have flagged, just make sure it's all good. Um, yeah, check it's all okay. Um, but, yeah, the, the dad's getting involved and, and putting together some equipment, whatever it might be, has been really cool to see as well. Where does this end? I mean, we're obviously... Um... There's some impatience being shown already in some sectors of sport and society about the end of this, um, but we're really at the beginning of a very long journey, and this is this is our time to go through hardship that previous generations went through uh, in the two world wars and the Great Depression, isn't it? Exactly, and it, that's the I guess the biggest thing is we don't know when this will end. Um, we all, all of our clubs have kind of said. Term two, we're expecting it to be totally online. Um, gymnastics clubs kind of work off the school term. So, yeah, just end of term one at the moment. Um, they're taking these school holidays as a chance to like the schools, get all their content online and really work out the lesson plans they need moving forward. But that takes us through till August. Who knows after that? Um, we're looking, I guess, from a state side of things that we've said, okay, end of June, that's when we're re-evaluating the competitions and things like that. But, again, it's changing so much that we don't know if that will, that will be the case come, come end of June if there's the possibility to move on forward and, and continue operating, I guess, our competition side of things for the rest of the year. So where, I, I guess, cliche as it might be in the sporting sense, taking each day one day one at a time. Day at a time. Um, mm. Literally, what else are we meant to do? So it's, it's something, again, we're all processing the same information at the same time and just trying to work out, okay, what is it that we need to do today to make sure gymnastics clubs can can get through another day, get through another week, get through another month, and we'll keep chipping away at that until this kind of wraps up, whenever this might be. How worried is Gymnastics New South Wales at the official level from uh, thinking about or thinking about uh, the worst-case scenario, the nuclear winter option, where we're in this position for more than three months or six months and it becomes 12 or 18 months. It's probably something no one wants to think about, but eventually it has to be considered. Yeah, definitely. It's It's been since this has happened, so it's been at the forefront of, of our CEO and our board's mind. Um, they're running the forecast daily, weekly, checking in to see, see how things are going. Um, we, I guess, being New South Wales, I think we've, and being a state that's been impacted, I guess, the most and, and the earliest as well, we've had a chance to really take that that consideration and we've taken quite a, I don't want to say pessimistic, but we've looked at that, that worst-case scenario and we've, we've planned through that. Um, we're confident that, that we'll be okay for the next 18 months um, and that's, I guess, going off that, that kind of worst-case scenario and then moving forward, I guess, we, we need to reevaluate and things like that. But some of the other states... I guess are just coming into the the crux of the the COVID impact um, in recent weeks, so they're I guess reevaluating a little bit differently and things like that. So again, everyone's looking at this information at the same time and and trying to work out okay, what does this mean for us? And because it's changing so often, it's it's good now that it seems to have died down in terms of the government announcements and things like that, so people can start to get a bit more of a, a handle on what's going on. Um, so that's that's what we're doing at the moment. Again, the, the board and the CEO are just checking and rechecking and forecasting and re-forecasting so we know what position we're in. Um, and then once we've, we've got an idea of that, we can communicate that out to clubs and, 
and work with them to to see how we get through this as as one, I guess, team together. Yes, let's hope that that team at Gymnastics New South Wales can work in conjunction with Gymnastics Australia to get that sport back up and running as well as possible when the coronavirus curtain is lifted. We wish Alex and all of their team the absolute best and we will be keeping a very close eye on them. All right, we've reached half-time in this particular episode of Splinters. We'll take a break and we will come back to speak with Ben Davis as this episode of Splinters continues. The action attraction of the North Shore, Magpies Waitara, continues to offer the best in food and entertainment for the whole family. There's live entertainment every Saturday night, and the Shamrock Inn is still Hornsby's only authentic Irish pub. Try the mouth-watering meals at either the Lucky Magpie, Hornsby's best Chinese restaurant, or the kitchen at great value prices while you're here. Plus, there's the courtesy bus to take you home locally at night, and it's still only $5.50 to join. What great value! For more information, go to the website www.magpieswaitara.com.au and find out what's on this week. All at the action attraction of the North Shore, Magpies Waitara. Located Alexandria Parade, Waitara. Information for members and guests. Sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Magpies Waitara are currently closed due to government regulation. Thanks, Australia, for doing your bit to help stop the spread of coronavirus. For downloading the COVID Safe app, for keeping your distance and staying at home, for the sacrifices you've made and for stepping up in these tough times. The changes aren't easy, but they are working. So keep going. And don't forget, if you haven't already, download the COVID Safe app today. Visit australia.gov.au to learn more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. Welcome back to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and also on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au on a Tuesday night. And afterwards at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Tune in, Spotify, iTunes, all the bad places as well. Like Mia's cast, for instance. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back down to business, shall we? And we continue this wraparound of the sports, the codes in the local Hornsby and Keringai area, as well as the sports outside of the spectrum, how they've been affected or were affected by the coming down of the coronavirus COVID-19 emergency curtain. It was fitting that we looked at Australia's main summer sport cricket and how the Northern District Rangers, the flagship club for the national summer game, were affected and how they possibly could be affected into the future. So who else? to speak to, but Ben Davis, the skipper of the Northern District Rangers first grade outfit during the season just completed. A season that was uh, curtailed by no final series thanks to the coronavirus emergency. We caught up with Ben Davis on a recent edition of The Bench. And it's time to go around the codes and around the sports to see how and where and why they're dealing with this COVID-19 emergency situation. Cricket is no different, even though they've now had their season, well, halted abruptly and maybe prematurely. 
It didn't quite uh, matter too much, I'm afraid, for the Northern District Rangers. They didn't make the finals to discuss that. And other things cricket-wise, we can say officially, for the last time, for a while, for this season, Ben Davis, the, uh, the skipper, or it turned out to be the skipper for the season for the Rangers, has joined us again online. Hello, Ben. Hey, Tony. How you going, mate? Very well. Well, briefly, um, uh, take us through how, in a way, it didn't quite matter because... The Rangers didn't make the finals, but how you heard about the club was told about the way things ended with the, the COVID-19 emergency. Yeah, well, as, as you mentioned, we obviously just missed out. We finished in seventh place, which was a little bit disappointing. But, you know, leading into that final round, we knew the Soviet stuff was starting to take place. There was a lot of there was a few measures in place for that last round and then sort of changing daily as it was. So, you know, after, I think a few days after we, we finished up, we, there was emails coming around, you know, fair play to cricket, uh, New South Wales, the, the communication has been really well, really good, and they, they sent that out, uh, some emails straight away, basically, that say cricket's been uh, officially called off, and the finals won't go ahead, unfortunately. Well, in a way, it was um, almost, did offer some closure the way your season ended, you were one of the few games to have got on amongst the rain on that final Saturday last Saturday week against Uni of New South Wales and uh, in the end it came down to a rain-reduced Duckworth-Lewis run chase that uh, the Uni of New South Wales, the Bumblebees, uh, completed quite comfortably. It was a fairly small target, though. Yeah, it was. You know, Scott Rogge uh, got out of the blocks really well and, and, and got us firing and we were in a really good position there, about one for 120 off about 19 over or something like that. And then, um, unfortunately, we put continued to crumble after that. I, I don't know if the boys all thought they had to keep up with the same pace that Scott was going at, which is not that easy for the rest of us new mortals. But we, uh, you yeah, know, there was a bit of a batting collapse in, in pretty good batting conditions, to be honest with you. So we really should have got, you know, 250 plus on that on that wicket. Um, so we let ourselves down there and then it rained. And, and fair credit to the umpires and to University of Wales. They, you know, they, they didn't really have much to play for, but they hung around all day and let us have an opportunity at the back end of the day to, to make a game of it. Um, within the wicket when we pulled the covers off did have a bit of wet patch up one end and we sort of had a gentleman's agreement that I would only spin from one end as well uh, to get us on and, and have a game and, and they agreed to that to their credit and um, so you know full credit to the Uni- University of New South Wales and their skipper on the day as well and um, we, had, we were lucky to have good as umpire and they got us on and it wasn't to be but it was still got a game of cricket in. Darren Goodger of course is who you mentioned uh, one of uh, Australia's premier umpires he's been the uh management level at umpiring uh, at Cricket New South Wales for uh, some considerable period of time now. Uh, not wanting to be disparaging to others, but maybe a couple of other umpires around the place, Ben would have said, you know what, that's it, we're done. I'm almost sure. We saw, um, we had Darren on, on the morning of the game and we were always confident that with good around, we can, he'll always try and facilitate a game if he can. So he, you know, that was probably as good as I've seen in, in difficult times and you know communication's always really good with our players and and they had a, a young country umpire up for his first first grade debut I think so what an experience what, for him what experience he had chucked in straight away yeah what an experience for him to get through that experience and have managed some players and, and teams in a wet condition and have Darren up the other end uh, explaining it all so no, it was hats off to those guys they did a great job um, in hindsight you've had a little bit of time to uh, sit back now that the dust has settled on the season. Um, first time in a number of years, none of the five grades at the, at the men's level qualified for finals. Fifth grade got pipped by one point. 
when we thought that they were in the finals, they in, indeed needed to get a result on the, the last day, and they didn't, and they missed out by one point after being in the six for long patches of the season. Uh, at your level, uh, in your side, in first grade in particular, all those tough games that you had to fight hard and, and, and get out of jail against Western Suburbs, you didn't get out of jail against Gordon, uh, you had the, the run chase against Eastern Suburbs all in the last six weeks of the season. Do you think that took its toll in the end? Yeah, listen, we were in it. I think it was a really tough back end of the season. We we got we lost a really tight one to Randwick Petersham in a one day who ended up, you know, going on to win it quite comfortably. Um we got then got rained out um against Parramatta in a one day, which if we had a one we, we would have made the finals in a one day comp. So that was a disappointing washout when other teams got out got on. Um uh, we had a east, we had a run chase uh, washed out against Eastern Suburbs, so we didn't get an opportunity there either. Then we lost. A, uh, we won a good one, a really tight one against Sullivan, which was a good run chase. We lost a really tight one against Gordon, which, you know, we, that was probably the deciding factor in us. We, we really could have won that game comfortably. And then we had a really tight win against West with a big chase there as well. So it's probably, I think, seventh is probably a fair uh, indicator of where we were at. I think if we snuck into the final, that was probably playing above where we are. I think as a group, seventh is probably a good indicator. We had a lot of injuries this year first grade as well, with a lot of bowlers, we were chopping and changing the team all through the season, so I think the boys have done quite well to get the seventh, and with everyone back fighting fit, I think we're definitely pushing to keep going on the upwards and get inside that top six next year. You mentioned everyone fighting fit, uh, first cab off the rank no doubt would be Nathan Smith, the disappointment of him not getting on the field at all this season was very acute I'm sure. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a big part of our attack from last year and he, he brings a lot of experience. So he didn't even play a game this year, which was hurtful for us. And, and I know Nathan, in the background, it was a hard year for him to sit on the sideline. But he's, you know, already back running and he's getting ready for next year. But that was a big loss for us. We had another one, Daniel Anderson, who was a big part of our batting lineup for the last few years. He didn't play a game either. So he's still experienced players. And then our other fast bowlers were, were in and out with injuries pretty much all season. So... There was no consistency from an attack. I mean, Scott Rodgers was our leading wicket-taker uh, and was probably bowled most over for us as well in, in that regard. And that's ironic, given that he was brought to the club to score all the runs. That's exactly right. So, and, he, you know, he did a fair job there as well. So he was a good get for us. I mean, Scott played a big part. Uh, our keeper for most of the year, Will Butterman from England, he, did, he played an amazing role for us and he's got some really good potential, that, that kid. Um, yeah, there's a lot of positives that came out of the year. Like I said, seventh is probably realistic where we should be. Um, but we're on the upward scale. You know, we lost David Lowry with a broken finger for quite a big period through the middle when he was going really well as well. So, um, you know, considering all the injuries and, and how we went, it, it wasn't a disaster season, but it kept us all hungry and wanting to go bigger and better. OK, you mentioned wanting to go bigger uh, and better. Now, um, the problem with the Rangers, I'm sure you'll probably be the first to admit that, even if you don't, has been the batting has been the Achilles heel, the lack of consistency where on paper, if all batsmen fire, um, they can put up scores that any bowling attack can defend. But Scott Rodgey probably didn't score as many runs as he would have liked. You yourself um, scored a couple of centuries, but there was some also some low scores in between. Will Buttleman ended up scoring a lot of the runs, but the likes of John Wheeling, Dave Lowry, a couple of others... Were, had up and down seasons. Yeah, and I think that's it's definitely a, a mismatch with the batting. I suppose that's, that's on paper, like you said, it looks like a really strong batting lineup. Um, John O'Wheeling came back 
and started really strongly. He played a few games for us, but he, he got a couple of fifties and then fell away, which is which is a little bit disappointing. He broke his, he dislocated his finger in the second last game as well. So up the top, we've we brought in the young um, Corey Miller, who's only 17. So that was a bit of a um, start for him. I think he won't be better. He's a very good player. John Anderson had a pretty decent. Well, I say pretty decent season. He looked like having a decent season, but ended up getting a lot out in the, the 20s and uh, like between 15 and 25, so that hurt us. And obviously losing Dave in that experience for a big part of the period. Scott, yeah, he probably would have liked to score a few runs himself. I mean, he's still average high 40s, but what we didn't do is put them together as a group, and, and we probably that Gordon one was one. You know, with our batting lineup, we should have we should have won comfortably. So there's, there's periods through the game where we we lost, and um, I think with the stability, if we can get around on the past a bit better and um, I think that the batting line up talent's there I just think we, we need a couple of other guys to step up and instead of averaging probably 30 they need to start getting up in the pool and contribute a little bit more You mentioned Corey Miller uh, he's probably been the one uh, one of the shining lights of the season uh, school kid 17 years of age coming out opening the batting he looks a real uh, prospect in the longer form of the game he's an old fashioned opener isn't he? He's a proper old-fashioned opener, yeah. I, a lot of time for Corey. There's, there's, he's been thrown into a couple of tough situations uh, coming into first grade. Quite often we, we were bowling first. And he had to face the first, I think, three or four games. His, his first three hits were coming in at the night to face a few overs, which is never easy. And he never looks flustered. He leaves the ball really well. Um, he knows he seems to know his game really well. I, I think he's in must to, to play a lot, a lot of first grade and hopefully higher on us He's a bit of a rare, rare kid with a head on his shoulders at that age, I think. What about uh, some of the other uh, younger players uh, that have come through? You had to bring in some young bowlers earlier than you would have planned this season. Yeah, bowling was definitely our, uh, our tough area coming in. But, we, you know, we had, we had a few Jake Heinrich who's, who's played his first full year of first grade. Uh, he, he's actually performed quite well for us. Um, and he's shown a lot of promise that he, he could definitely play at this level and, and improve. Um, I mean, we had a, a, a guy in the second last game who'd, who'd come through from um, A2s of local club cricket last year and he, and he ended up playing fifth grade all the way through to first grade. So that was one that you know, we weren't expecting to have to do that. Um, we had Chad Soper, who, you know, he's in and around the group, but he, he suffered a, a rib injury, so he was in and out a few times. You know, we, we brought guys in for... We've, um, for one-off games, they, they weren't even playing this year. And we brought you know, Matt Phillips to play it a little bit. Um, there's a lot of guys that just came in and out when required. So you know, the boys battled around and did what they need to. The first-grade bowling attack against some of the good first-grade batters is not an easy place to come up and uh, learn your trade if you, if you haven't played much in second grade, for example. All right. Um, now we go forward. Uh, the end-of-season presentation night is, of course, off in abeyance at the moment. Uh, we don't know when that will be. It may end up being done online. It may be done via Skype. Who knows? I'm sure that uh, uh, Mr. Hook and the others in the uh, committee of the of the Rangers will make that call in the not-too-distant future. But we've discussed with the winter sports what may happen if we go into full lockdown mode, uh, stage three and above, which could be on the cards from as early as next week. What about next summer and the fact that if this continues, there'll be no opportunity to practice in the middle of uh, July and August when that uh, practice time is due. And then there's ground availability when you want to start the competition in September if other competitions in other codes in other sports want to hang around for a bit. Yeah, it's going to be a, a 
it's definitely an uh, interesting time ahead for the next few months. I mean, for, for everyone's lives and work, cricket, uh, everything. So it's, it's a really hard place to plan what's going to be three, four months ahead. Um, I think for our guys, what we've, we've already spoken about uh, a little bit is, you know, if we are going to be stuck at home, there's a lot of uh, personal fitness. We can make sure we're all in good shape still. Um, one way to pass time as well, but I, I think guys can use the, use the time wisely. And if we if we manage to get the opportunity to get out of this on the other side and, and get a game of cricket in, then well, I think the boys will be raring to run around by then and, and do anything they can. So um, yeah, it's a long way ahead, Tony. But let's let's hope fingers crossed we all, all get out of it the other side and start enjoying sporting. What about yourself? You've been around. It's fair to say a number of years. I'm not going to say how many, but <laughs> but uh, you're a family man. You yourself have just come through the back end of an ordinary court, quote, man flu, unquote. Um, how worried were you that what you had was just a man flu and not the other thing? No, I was pretty confident that it wasn't at that stage. Maybe I was like the rest, you know, the rest of Australia, still a bit probably naive at how bad this all was going to get. But, you know, I was uh, pretty confident. I just, just, the, just the flu might have been brought on from end-of-season drinks we had after we lost. I had a few drink that night, which normally brings me undone. So I think, uh, you know, from our point of view, I'm getting on a bit, but I'm not that old, Tony. I'm still sitting off fight off this hopefully pretty well at my age. I'm still pretty fit, and I plan to go around again for another year next year, and the wife and kids are allowing me to do that. So That's uh, most important. You must get that leave pass. I've got the leave pass. So after being stuck at home with them for the next two, two months, they might be kicking me out the door, so I might be all right anyway. <laughs> um now, uh, you mentioned uh, coming back next year. Nathan Smith was originally named captain at the start of the season. Um, is that decision and that position now going to have to be revisited in the off-season? Or is, or is... Uh, so Nathan was, Nathan was never going to be first-grade captain. He was club captain, which is a different role. So the club captain role is to sort of take all the playing groups, first-grade all the players, sit through the fifth grade and, and take the... Uh, um, any information back to the committee and, and that's what Clayton Waters has done for us for a number of years before this so uh, Nathan stepped into that role as, as club captain but um, yeah I was first grade captain the year before and, and this year and, and at this stage if we don't get kicked out I'll, I'll probably be doing it again next year but that hasn't been decided yet we're going to have the end of season review and make sure Jerry and the boys aren't, aren't you know, kicking me out of that job quickly. <laughs> how, how do you do that review now more than likely you're going to have to do it via Zoom or Skype Mate, it is going to be via Zoom, and actually, as we're talking, I've, a lot of the cricket boys are on a. They've started a Friday afternoon beer Zoom session, um, but they're on in the background on one of my computers, uh, listening to the, the radio cast. So, there are all our meetings are, are reviews and all that stuff is, is going to be done through Zoom. So, it's actually a lot easier than you think if you're doing it that way. It uh, saves a lot of time, and it's, uh, it's a pretty good system. Well, Jake Aquilina, you're you're doing things via Zoom at the moment as well at, uh, in your rugby club, aren't you? Yeah, that's what we're doing. You can't have, if you can't go to the pub and have beers with your mates, you might as well get on Zoom and have a beer at home. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's going on with us at the moment. So about uh, ten boys sitting on Zoom watching watching me uh, talk to you guys. I'm sure it's <laughs> happening all around the country. Yeah, exactly. Good evening right. to you, fellas, and, and, and have one for us, and make sure you, you wash your hands after you have your beer. <laughs> All right, one, one last thing. Um, the Rangers can't throw the dollars... Around. Well, two last things. Firstly, um, the Rangers can't throw the dollars around like a lot of clubs we know out there can, but there are gaps in the playing personnel. Um, you go back to the well, the Rangers pride themselves on getting the best local talent there is. 
Um, the AW Green Shield made the semi-finals again this season with predominantly a lot of the same players that won it last summer. And a lot of those players are going to be asked to, to step up. And is there anyone else on the horizon? Is there a Scott Rogie being spoken to out there to come across to Mark Taylor Oval when play resumes, whenever that is? I'm not actually privy to it. I think there is a few uh, a few people sniffing around from what I've heard, but I, I've, I haven't been privy to any in particular names. I think Jerry didn't want to um, let any, you know, just bother me with any of that stuff while we were still playing and with all the work with the coronavirus stuff going on. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. We've, I think we've been on the up in the last few years, and, and one thing I can say about uh, the group is it's, it's a pretty tight-knit group and a good good club to play for and a good team to play for. They're all really good guys, and I think that's one thing that gets noticed around the, around the club. We always get good comments about the boys, and they're, they play in the right spirit, and they're, they're a good bunch of fellas. So um, I think there's a few guys that wouldn't mind being part of that environment. So you never know. Watch this space. Well, we'll watch this space indeed. Lastly, look, the Randwick, Petersham, Randy Peets, it's been a, 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 a few years of drought-breaking. Parramatta broke their drought after 50 years two summers ago. Penrith broke their drought after whatever it was, nearly 30 years last summer. And the Randy Peets, the one merged club that formed out of the, uh, the flotsam and jetsam of the merger push that hit Sydney cricket politically back 20 years ago, finally won their title. It's been a long time for them and... At the end of the day, they were first past the post by a clear margin. Yeah, and they, they ended up smashing it, I think, didn't they? It was, it was, if you had asked us that at the start of the season, if we went back to those uh, those reviews we did at the start to see who was in our top six, I don't think they were in too many people's top six. So, listen, they had a great season, and, and they are full of talent across the board, and then thoroughly deserve uh, to be crowned uh, the champions this year because, you know, they, like you said, they finished a long way ahead. Um, and hats off to them, you know, they're a very good team. Um, a, lot of, a few older guys in that squad as well, and they've, they've been playing for a long time, and I think, uh, yeah, hats off to them, and, and congratulations to Ramwick Petition for what they've done this year. Well, thank you to you and everyone in your squad, in your club, that have helped us in this uh, traumatic season that we've just endured through bushfires, coronavirus uh, pandemics, uh, floods rain interruptions and a heck of a lot of other things. It's been a summer that won't be forgotten for a long time. Uh, stay safe, wash your hands, uh, wear that face mask, and we look forward to seeing you whenever play resumes, at whatever time that is, later in the year or even next year. Yeah, appreciate it, Tony, and thanks for the radio and, and you guys for all the support you guys give throughout the season as well. So, guys, we appreciate it. and Enjoy the off-season of cricket. I don't know what you're going to be talking about, sport sessions for the next little bit but uh, enjoy it and we'll, we'll hopefully have a chat soon enough. Ben we can't wait to speak with you again uh, not just you but everyone involved with local sport and sport outside the spectrum for the day when we can get back to something towards normality or at least what was normal in the pre-coronavirus era. Since that interview of course there have been some announcements the possibility of the Ron Massey Cup and Sydney Shield starting again on July the 18th. Association football uh, at local community level, including the NPL, possibly a June 28 start. And maybe cricket pushed back to the start of November to allow some of those community sports an extra month of October once they get up and running. We will all watch that space 
with great interest. All right, that just about wraps it up. It's full time. The referee has called a halt to this episode of Splinters. Thanks for your company. We'll catch up again next Tuesday night at 8 o'clock with the final episode in our special coronavirus emergency series where we speak again with Pat Wisner from the Asquith Magpies and from uh, Ed Ferguson of the NSFA and the Northern Suburbs Football Association's flagship outfit, the Northern Tigers, to see how they're faring with coronavirus with some hopeful messages for the future. Until we meet then, my name is Tony Dawson, the Sultan. Stay safe, everyone. For this episode of Splinters, it's goodbye.